Welcome back, radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and fans. I'm producer Jillian King, and I'm excited to introduce you all to part three of the summer 2023 FBA family business panel discussion. The family business. Is this a family affair? Should everyone in the family be in the business? In this final part of the panel discussion, we will be covering topics related to the logistics of working with family, who family members should report to, the overlap between family involvement and a company's goals, values, and dynamics, and much more. If you have not yet seen parts one and two of this panel discussion, we recommend you head over to radioentrepreneurs.com or any of our many channels to catch the first two segments. All of these discussions are intended to be highly relevant to family businesses, but also entrepreneurs of all types. So be sure to follow Radio Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, or any of the many other platforms we stream on to see those first two segments. Next, I will introduce our panelists and moderator for this discussion. We are joined today by Stephen Wilchins, founding partner at Wilchins, Cosentino, and Novins, Rich Hershens, partner at Gray, Gray, and Gray, and our guests, Karen Bressler, former CEO of Agar, and David Gordon, president of the Gordon Companies. Welcome, everyone. Last but not least, a man who needs no introduction, radio entrepreneur's host and founder of Mage LLC, Jeffrey Davis. Welcome, Jeffrey. And I will now hand the conversation over to you. I feel like I'm back in elementary school with that introduction. My teachers would say, Jeffrey needs no introduction. Get out of class. Don't even bother me. So I don't know if that's a positive or a negative again. Uh, But my next question, and uh, I think it's pretty important for all of us. I'm going to combine two of our questions. Is it a good idea to have family members reporting to family members or and under what conditions would you have family members or should they be reporting to a professional executive? Anybody want to grab that one first? I, I think it's um, I think it's been the, the theme of this whole thing is if you're running a family business, you're running it like any other business. And so that, if that family member is appropriate for that family member to report to the CEO, who's also the family is also a family member, then that's the way it needs to go. If that family member's working their way up, they need to report to the the appropriate you know hi, higher up. I don't think there really should be any special treatment for for a family member. So, so who reviews the CEO, David? The board. Well, but if it's not fiduciary, how how do you? we have an advisory board right so there's right. right so so part of that conversation is you know i think that the ceo has to really be um understand that they are they're presenting an image and they need to reflect that they are um they have to do everything correctly so they demonstrate to their employees, even their family members, that this is the right thing to do. And they're beyond the approach. I think that's very important. I think that's a really important point, Stephen. Thank you for bringing that up. And I would agree with you. I'm sure Karen and Rich also have opinions about it. I think you set the standard from the top down. And if you don't have the senior family member being reviewed, then 
I think others don't want to be reviewed as well and see it as a broken process. Yeah, well, I agree. I always said I was as good as my last week <laughs> being, <laughs> being a data-driven company and in uh, a sales-oriented company. So, you know, we measured a lot that way. And um, in, you know, in a, and as a low-margin business also, um, ultimately, if we weren't achieving the goals set forth at the beginning of the year, I mean, we had a budget, but the budget was more than a budget. It was really like the guiding light that, you know, you, if you didn't come out to your budget numbers, which we were always measuring, then, then it was not, then you're not doing, you're, you're, you're under the gun and um, you're under review. I, as a CEO, I did not have a formal review. Uh, but nor did I have, I had my dad as my board. So if something wasn't okay, he was the one that was going to let me know it was informal. I'm not saying that was the best way to do it, but that's the way we did it. Uh, but, but I also had reported to other people prior to be, when I was CEO, then I reported to my father. But prior to that, I reported to presidents, um, as Jeffrey recalled, two of whom we had to fire. <laughs> and um I reported to um, credit. Uh, I, I reported the CEO, um, a general manager. I, I reported to various people throughout the years, and that was, I think, good. And it also gives you um, insight into the management team from a different angle, and you can also advise the senior leaders what you think about the people you're reporting to. I think there's something else to this also, and I, because I have a little bit of experience with both of you, uh, I could probably quote Karen Bressler better than David Gordon. But if Karen Bressler ever felt that somebody wasn't telling her the truth, even if it was about her, that was a good way to go to the guillotine right away. <laughs> and I think she made that clear to everybody that if she was being massaged, or not given the hard data, no matter how tough it was, you were not staying in her world. So she was, in, she really made it clear and invited people for that. I think David feels the same way too. If he's going to build trust with somebody, he wants to build trust because he knows people are going to tell him all sides of a story. And not every CEO in a family business wants that, you know, and I think that's an important part of it also. You have to build a culture that says, it starts with me. Tell me what you think. Right. Yeah, I, I have that experience now. And we, we acquired a business in November and, you know, trying to integrate teams. And, you know, my personality is to try and push and push and push and try and get the most out of everybody. And the ability to be self-aware and say, well, wait a second, I've seen our leadership that may not fully understand what's happening or they're getting stressed out too. But, you know, being mindful of, how everybody's feeling and you know how how their workloads are are being able to be achieved on a daily basis and um and, and just sort of being able to to pump the brakes if you need to pump the brakes take criticism and absorb it and and as long as you react to it i think it's something that can help you know move things forward and keep yourself in in check yeah i, I agree with you david i i yeah, and I have much more to add. Well, I want to move it I on. Think, to I think yes. sometimes, though, 
as a CEO, you want to hear things. And I know I heard what how Karen's philosophy is. But I think if you had to balance trust and loyalty versus skill and success, I think I would opt for the latter versus the former. And I think that's that's certainly an issue as you move forward the company, because I think what tends to happen is that your trust and loyalty overcomes the skills for a number of CEOs. I'm not saying the two here on the panel, but I'm just saying generally. You know, I felt like you, you didn't have to like me and you didn't have to be my best friend, but you had to, you had to be honest because that was a reflection on the ethos of our company. My father was an honest person. I'm an honest person. We have a reputation in the community. And so we couldn't have people um, out there that were underhanded or I'd have people out there. I had uh, one situation that somebody was undermining me to new people coming on board that we were trying to recruit. So even if that person was excellent at their job, if they're telling all your new recruits stories and they, you know, I don't care that the person was talking trash about me that I'm, I'm, I'm tough like that. But um, what does that say to new recruits coming on now? They don't feel good about the company they're joining. Mm -hmm. And so that then to me led to a toxic culture, which we really tried very hard and worked hard to root out so that it was, you know, as good of a culture as we could make. So it wasn't a culture of fear or anything. It was just, you just have to tell the truth. And I, and, and, you know, knowledge is power. When you're the CEO, you're usually the last to hear everything. Nobody wants you to know. They want to figure it out before you. They want to avoid all that. But at least they tell you. But when people would come tell me something, I would never tell. I was like, you know, my I was very good at keeping the secret because then at least I knew what the truth was. Um, and then I started to learn who I could trust. And people knew if they told me the truth, they everything was fine. Like I can handle the truth. I just couldn't handle when people were serving me up a pile of bull that, that for what, how does the company advance when we don't have the right information? And, and yours is not your typical family business at your peak, Karen, how many employees did you have? 450. So it wasn't a small company and there were, there were a lot of layers. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of layers think, and a lot of liars. <laughs> ah, that's good. <laughs> I, I think especially now you need, if to what Steve was saying, if you want to get the skill out of somebody, you need to get the emotional part right with that employee. You need to really want them to perform. And I see it now with, especially the, the generation coming in, they, you know, they, they need to feel emotionally connected to the business to the CEO, um, if you're going to get truth out of them, and and I think it's a it's a two way street. You have to tell them the, the the good and the bad, and they'll perform. They'll perform, but you need both pieces. Well, I, I will add something to this because I know both of you, and I don't always like to get into the personal stuff, but uh, I learned this before both meeting either one of you, and that is really good family member CEOs are very tough, and they can be very argumentative because it's not easy to convince them of an idea. 
And I think you have to build into a family business a very strong feedback system, despite the fact that generally speaking in a good family business, the smartest person is at the top a lot of times and the most argumentative person can be at the top. And I and I have, have had experiences, I'm going to now cross the line with someone like Karen, who's very bright and can be very, and is a professional debater uh, where people would come to me and say, <laughs> I have a topic I'd like you to, we have a topic we'd like you to talk to Karen about. I'm going to get in trouble now. And I would go into Karen's office and I would have this term that I got Karen slapped. That is the first time I brought her the idea, she would beat me up. And then the next day we would have the most wonderful discussion. My head was still spinning around in my head, but the second day was a lot better than the first. But I was always willing to have that first day of getting beaten up by Karen. <laughs> oh, so I didn't beat you up. It's important to build that into the system. It has to be built in. And I think that's an important part. And I know Rich and Stephen, we've all, we've had discussions also through our careers of people we knew and families who didn't take feedback and didn't build that in and you couldn't talk to them. Rich is smiling because Rich probably knows some of the ones that we've talked about. And you know, that can be very detrimental to a business, correct, Rich? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I think we are thinking about the same business and- 100% agree. Right. Uh, so it leads me to my next question. I think it's very important. Uh, should family members have a special family compensation package? And that one I know you've all we've all experienced as well. And it, it's a tricky, sticky subject. Family compensation. Should they have a special package? <laughs> yeah. It is a tricky one because, I mean, the answer is, I'm assuming it's yes, but how it's structured is more important than what the actual compensation is. I think um, whether that's through stock, I think what Karen was alluding to before, or through through regular salary or, or a bonus plan, I I think the the answer is yeah. To me, the answer is the answer is yes. Um, but uh, it needs to be constructed appropriately. I, I always felt that I was underpaid. Me too. Um, <laughs> okay. Everybody does. <laughs> I, we all do. I always felt that I was underpaid. And, you know, as I said, my, my father would say, well, but you're a shareholder. I'm like, well, so are people that aren't working in the business. Um, but, you know, if I... I, I always wondered if I was somewhere on the outside, would I've had an you know ability to earn more on an annual basis? And that's the way you live. Like you you have to pay your expenses and, and you you live on your income. And uh, one thing we did years in was create a, a bonus pool for me and my senior team. And it was up to me how to divide it up. So if I wanted to keep it all, I guess I could keep it all. But we we took um, a percentage of the net profit and then created a pool and then determined who was in the pool and how we wanted to bonus people from that pool. And the pool was hundred percent based on the net profit. Cause I wanted to encourage everybody to work together and not just in their own silos. So part of their um, bonus structure was in the area that they worked in. And the other part was, you know, based on the net profit of the company. And many times I would give some of what from a percentage allocation 
would go to me, I would give it back into the pool to motivate the rest of the senior team. If, if, they, if I didn't think the pool was quite substantial enough that year. Um, and that was then me short paying myself. Um, but for the greater good of building the company for value. And we weren't really building it always to sell it. Like that wasn't necessarily the goal um, until about maybe two to three years before we sold it. That So that wasn't, I mean, our goal was always long-term growth. It wasn't fast growth and sell. Um, but so then it was myself shortchanging myself in the effort to, you know, create more value for the company. So Karen, as a practical matter, what did you effectively take as a percentage of that bonus pool? Because it's interesting because you're self-policing and realizing that you have to deal with your senior people. It changed all the time. I mean, you know, it started with I should have the most because I'm the CEO. But then I had, you know, a president that when I'd look at the way the numbers would fall down, I'd say, well, that doesn't feel substantial enough for the president. So I'd play with the numbers. So I, I would say if if we took 15% of the net profit for the bonus pool, and then I, I maybe I took three to 5% of that 15%. So not, not very, it, it was, it was something for me, but it wasn't anything over the top. I think ideally that there really shouldn't be a, a special compensation plan for the family members. I think, as much as you can, the family members that are working in the business should be compensated as to what that role should pay, whether they were a family member or not. And I recognize that can be hard sometimes with family, but but I think that's a good goal to have. Um, you know, you can also do distribution. So if there's some people that just own the company and want to get some money, there can be a distribution. I've seen, you know, board decide the distribution or some companies have had some uh, formulas type things to figure out how much gets distributed and that goes out you know, that's your reward for just being an owner, whether you work in the business or not. But but I think for the actual position that you're holding, I, I would suggest, you know, trying to get that to market of what that position would pay. I, 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 Don't you? I think, uh, sorry, Steve. I, I no, think my, I think when I have family members in the business, it's typically on the higher end of a pay scale. And I think as a family member, you, you sort of like, that's sort of the consideration for being a family member, that's just the emotional side of it. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, so if you're, you know, if you're somebody, um, you know, who makes between a dollar and two dollars, you're going to tend to go a little like a dollar fifty, a dollar sixty. It's just yeah. kind of the emotional side of, of working with, with that family member and having to, um, you know, see that, family, you know, at family events and stuff, you're like, you know, and he's like, Oh, I couldn't fill my, you know, uh, tank with my gas today because I don't have enough money. And you're like, oh, why don't I just put you on the higher end? Yeah, I get that. that. I I worked with a company once and and, um, all of the siblings who were in the business, they had a rule. They were all going to be paid the same amount. So from the CEO down to, you know, a a much less position, they're all making the same amount. And they had an enormous amount of money tied up in that salary that really impacted the company in a negative way. And so that you know, uh, for some of the positions, it was not on the high end of the spectrum. It was way beyond the spectrum. Um, and, and that's what, you know, I understand what you're saying and, and get that. I think that's okay, but you got to be. But in then the that also creates resentment with other employees. There are no secrets. Yeah. And so everybody knows that somebody on the low end is being well overpaid 
And while somebody in the same position is making a fraction of that. And I think I really, I always, I go back to, then you start eroding your culture in your organization and then that's damaging the business itself as I think you're, you're alluding to also. I'm so glad that Karen said what she said and that Rich did. Uh, You know, I can think of companies that maybe we know we not know, and I'll quote somebody again without giving a name. Sometimes when you start running it like a family and not like a business, compensation could become like a pig pile. (laughs) And when you're paying a lot of family members exorbitant salaries, the balance sheet, as Rich knows, suffers, the income statement suffers, and the business has no resiliency for a bad economy. And when you're not building resiliency into the balance sheet and income statement, you're headed towards a crash. Right. And uh, you've got to put the business first. And if you start putting family first without logic, it has many ripple effects that can be very dangerous. And so. I just wanted to pick up what Rich said about you know the compensation side, but don't underestimate that you know you take distributions. I mean that impacts. The, you know, the senior management team, because they see how much capital is going out, they'll know from the CFO somehow, some way, and they'll know that's going to impact the reserves or the expansion, et cetera. So I think that's a tough thing to deal with. Well, uh, we're running uh, long in time. I'm going to try to squeeze in one question, and that is, should there be a special development program for family members? I know, and I'll just, I'll even trigger you that if you look at the Ford Motor Company, they've always had that program for Fords, that you'd have a special development program that would enable them to get to the top. I also worked as an employee at Johnson & Johnson. Johnson's owned the family business. There has to be, so sometimes big corporations do have that type of program, but smaller family businesses, do you think of that, that this is an important part of that business as well? 100%. We do it now with senior management, um, including my family members, um, just just to progress their careers. And that may be just uh, operational management seminars. We've sent people to uh, we brought in professionals for to, to understand you know, our, our ERP system. And uh, we brought people in to do um, executive coaching uh, and, and just different and just kind of learning what new management styles are like especially with the new type of culture that's coming into the workforce. So we encourage that with family members and non-family members, you know, on a consistent basis. Aaron, would you like to contribute to that? I, I think it's a great idea too. I had something done up for me back, you know, back a long time ago. And then they also um, actually, when, when I brought Jeffrey on, I, you know, the, I think what I said to you is you have to teach me how to, I was just in sales and I, but I knew that I needed to have, you know, an, an understanding of what it would be to be in a, a higher leadership role. Um, so I, I think there was a lot given to me and I was the only one in the family. So we didn't have a family program, but we have another business that I'm responsible for. Um, and my, the managing partner, my partner there, he runs it. And we talk about succession plans all the time. And I, and he says, Oh, my, I have, you know, at the time he had two daughters in the business. He said, well, they can take over. I said, no, it's going to have to be me. Not that I want to do it. Cause I don't, but I'm the only one 
that'll look okay for the banks. And he said, no, my daughter's. And I said, okay, well, your daughter's work in the business, but what's their path? What have you, what can you present? And, you know, what, what are your plans for promoting them so that they could someday take over the business? And he had no plan. So we go back to square one. So I think, you know, in that business, it would make, it would have made a lot of sense. One of them has since left the business and the other's like almost semi-retired. So the succession plan in terms of him thinking it goes down to family doesn't really work because he didn't have anything in place to, to bring them up and through. Well, we have extended our timeline on all questions and all segments. Uh, quite interesting, even though we didn't get through all our questions. So I'm going to turn it over to our producer, Jillian King. Welcome back, Jillian. Thank you, everyone. What an important conversation for family businesses. That wraps up the last segment of our summer 2023 FBA family business panel discussion. The family business. Is this a family affair? Should everyone in the family be in the business? Thank you to all our listeners and viewers who have tuned in for this panel. Links will be provided in the video's description below to parts one and two if you didn't already hear them. So be sure to check those out and click subscribe just below the video if you're on YouTube or follow if you're listening on one of our podcast platforms to stay up to date on all our postings as they go live. If you're a fan of our videos, please be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, and press that bell button. Radio Entrepreneurs is also active on LinkedIn. So be sure to go follow our page there as well for more business advice and discussions. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. We'll be back with more stories on Radio Entrepreneurs.